Sebastian Ford for From the Frontline. Tonight we are dealing with learning from and serving the persecuted. In the studio with me is Dr. Peter Hammond, the founder of Frontline Fellowship, who has been involved in serving persecuted Christians for over 40 years in 38 countries. Last week in episode 240, we discussed the Reformation and its fruits. This week we will be discussing the trials of the church. Dr. Hammond, as a historian, you revel in dates. What is the significance of 30 November? Is this date symbolic? Was there any specific reason it was chosen? No, n- not really. Not the 13th of November. It's the second Sunday in November. And, and where this originates from is the 11th of the 11th, because the armistice which ended the First World War was at the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month in 1918. And so the 11th of the 11th, or 11th of November, each year has tended to be a day of remembrance for soldiers who died in the previous wars. First for the First World War, the war to end all wars, so they said, uh, which proved to be not so. And uh, the Second World War, the Korean War, and all the others that have followed. So the 11th of the 11th is, is symbolic for uh, those who have fought uh, for faith and freedom for their countries and different wars. And so it was thought by many of us shortly after the Berlin Wall fell and the Iron Curtain collapsed and Eastern Europe became free, uh, we thought it would be important to have a focus on the persecuted church because what had preceded that was the seven-year Jericho prayer march, which basically it started out of the Leipzig prayer meeting in East Germany where the Christians would gather and uh, they would have candles uh, and the symbol was All the darkness cannot put out a single candle. Light is more powerful than darkness. Truth is more powerful than error. Christianity is greater than communism and atheism and so on. And so uh, the spread of of these candles and light and people would go back from these prayer meetings and they'd put a lighted candle in an open window with the curtains open in a darkened home and you could just see all over more and more and more homes identifying with this. And and this was giving people hope and and when more... Christians in the West joined the seven-year Jericho prayer march, as they called it, to bring down the Iron Curtain and collapse the Soviet Union and the captive nations of Eastern Europe. Uh, This was considered to be uh, maybe something we should be doing more to pray for the persecuted church because, as we know, the end of communism in Eastern Europe was not the end of communism, nor was it the end of persecution of the church. North Korea, Cuba, uh, Vietnam, Laos, Cambodia, Red China, and of course the Middle Eastern Muslim countries, lots of other persecutions still. And so getting together with a group of other missions to the persecuted church, Open Doors, Voice the Martyrs and others, uh, we joined this initiative right from day one from the grassroots, uh, from uh, the ground floor, uh, International Day of Prayer, IDOP, International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. And very soon we were, Frontline was assigned IDOP Africa. So www.idop-africa became our uh, website to promote particularly the Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church in Africa. And of course, a number of countries in Africa persecute the church very severely. And uh, that's been our personal focus. Not that we don't also pray for Christians in Asia and other areas where they persecuted as well. So uh, this year, it happens that the second uh, Sunday in November is the 13th. So it's not the date that's significant. It's the second Sunday in November that's significant, and that comes from the 11th to the 11th. Because bear in mind, the situation is serious. Um, we're talking about 400 million Christians live in 67 countries of the world which severely restrict religious freedom and persecute believers. It was 66, but last year, you may recall, America withdrew from Afghanistan, and Afghanistan's now the worst country in the world to be a Christian. Christians are being murdered there in the most brutal ways. In fact, Afghanistan is now worse than North Korea and Saudi Arabia. 
for Christian, uh, which is um, a, a tragic end to 20 years of America pouring billions, or am I wrong, trillions of dollars into that failed war. And in the end, they just betrayed everyone in the country, even leaving the very details of people who'd been there. Uh, informants and their translators and these poor people have been hounded and persecuted and it's, it's terrible. Every year at least 200,000 Christians are killed for their faith. I believe in the last year it was more like 400,000. What precisely is meant by the term persecuted church? The word persecuted could be interpreted in various ways. Are we talking about a situation where Christianity is banned outright or milder forms of persecution? A whole space of it, but it's, um, of course if you're talking about milder forms of persecution, virtually every country on earth has got that. Um, and when we say mild, we mean not violent, they don't kill you. But right now, you know, uh, and we're not counting we're not counting Canada, New Zealand, and Australia and so on in countries where Christians are persecuted faith, although there are. But the persecution in Western countries tend to be you lose your job, you lose your professorship, you won't get promoted, uh, you won't become a nurse if you won't do abortion, or you won't get that promotion if you won't be involved in abortion. Um, if you won't take the COVID shot, you won't... Uh, uh, be appointed or you won't get the job or you'll be removed from the army. If you make a statement as heretical, treasonous and blasphemous as there's only two genders or marriage can only be between a man and a woman, you can lose your professorship in a major university. And uh, so, now we're not counting those. I mean, those are what's called mild forms of discrimination. Well, that can really wreck a person's life, mind you. Uh, so we're talking about where your churches are burned, where people are beaten up or killed, where people are arrested and locked up for their faith. And this is, of course, happening in places like Iran and North Korea, uh, in Vietnam. It's taking place in Red China very severely. Uh, the Maldives Islands, uh, of course, Afghanistan, uh, Saudi Arabia, Pakistan. Uh, and this can take many different forms. So if you could just take Egypt, where uh, Christians are meant to be protected, and yet a Christian girls are frequently being kidnapped and forcibly married to Muslims and forcibly converted and beaten and so on. Uh, young children, uh, Christian children, Coptic children are captured, beaten, um, and they try to force them to be converted. And in many cases, they're actually made slaves. Uh, these things happen. Churches are torched and burned. Uh, there's attacks on people. A Christian, Coptic Christian, say, going to school during the month of Ramadan is likely to be beaten up if he takes any lunch. And uh, because the Muslims are are fasting. And so they're angry if a non-Muslim takes lunch to... So, you know, what's this got to do with anything? So instead of uh, fasting making you closer to God and making you more holy and gracious, it makes them more angry, irritable, violent, and vicious. And um, uh, so that doesn't seem to be a particularly God-honoring fast. Uh, the poor cops in Egypt, they just say, you know, we just fast during day two. We don't dare eat anything in public. We can't take food to, uh, to school. You know, just asking for a beating. Now, uh, those are the mild forms. Uh, the severe forms would be uh, being uh, wrapped in barbed wire on a stake in the open uh, while being whipped and things. Like this can happen in North Korea, for example. So when we're talking about persecution, it could be, for example, a princess in Saudi Arabia uh, converting to Christianity, getting beheaded. That happened. It's actually a Christian princess who, who got beheaded. Uh, a Christian girl in Saudi Arabia who got converted to Christ, her father drowned her in the swimming pool while the whole family and friends were gathered around watching and applauding. I mean, imagine, he dr drowns his daughter in the swimming pool. And by the way, there was no inquest, no police investigation, because under Sharia law, 
there is no penalty for killing a kafur or an infidel. And so because she had denied the faith of her father and she had become a Christian, a follower of the book, uh, she could be killed in front of witnesses and there's not even an inquest. There's no charges. So those are extreme examples. There are women who've been stoned to death in Afghanistan, in Pakistan, and Saudi Arabia. Uh, there have been men who've been buried up to their waist and then stoned to death in Somalia because they converted to Christ. In one year, that happened to 12 men. Uh, and we know these things because the jihadists who did it took pictures and posted on social media. They were that proud of it. So, uh, yes, when we say um, uh, violent persecution, that's how violent we can be talking about. Where does the recent lockdown of churches under the COVID tyranny fall on the scale of persecution? Well, um, it certainly does fall on it. Uh, think about this fact. More churches were closed by the COVID cult, the lockdown lunacy of 2020, than were ever closed by Joseph Stalin and Mao Zedong combined. Now, these are two of the worst persecutors on the planet. Now, Joseph Stalin managed to close down over 50,000 churches. That's pretty impressive. <laughs> nothing compared to what the COVID cult could do. The COVID cult closed something in the region of a million churches and locked down over a billion Christians and silenced ministers and sidelined ministries and missions and cancelled services, all in the name of the combating of a virus, which turned out to be about as deadly as the seasonal flu, and uh, which was very, very contagious, but then it was contagious because the laboratories where they'd been made in Wuhan, in China, had made them 10,000 times more contagious by adding all these spike proteins. And so uh, it was a man-made virus, and the very people responsible for making this virus, whether it was released deliberately or accidentally, um, we don't know exactly. Uh, but uh, the interesting thing is the very people who released the virus were the ones enforcing the lockdown lunacy. And social distancing is going to stop the virus, but it didn't. And lockdown will stop the virus, but it didn't. And sanitizing will stop the virus, but it didn't. Oh, masks will stop the virus, but it didn't. Vaccinations will stop the virus. Neither did that work either. So the whole masquerade madness, lockdown lunacy, COVID cult, salvation by vaccination, to be a total failure and fraud. But what it did was it showed the power of the Great Reset of the World Economic Forum, Wuhan Health Organization bunch, that they were able to clamp down on religion, not through persecution church, but this is this is for health. It's because they're so concerned for health. And you can tell they were concerned for health. Just take an example of Zimbabwe. It's an extreme example, but because the government of Zimbabwe is so concerned for your health, they sent soldiers into churches to beat up the people and rifle butt the pastor and drag him with blood trailing behind down the uh, aisle of the church and kick him in the head outside church. What more can a government do to show that they're really concerned about your health and well-being? Living in the new South Africa with its much-vaunted constitution, are we sheltered from persecution? Somewhat, yes. Actually, our Bill of Rights does give us freedom of opinion and speech and conscience and worship and... Um, uh, generally speaking, with the exception of the COVID cult lockdown lunacy, uh, we have had more freedom of speech and freedom of conscience. Certainly, South Africans enjoy far more freedom of speech and freedom of conscience and freedom of movement than Canada 
and Australia, New Zealand and the United Kingdom had under this lockdown lunacy. So while we did suffer a lot uh, under the, the lockdown lunacy, uh, nevertheless, we must say that for whatever reasons, uh, whether uh, matters of efficiency or matters of just a general respect for, for freedom of speech, uh, there's no doubt that we are treated better. So, for example, uh, as an older person, you're more likely to be respected in South Africa than you will be in Canada, Australia. I mean, in Canada and Australia, there's cases of uh, these young thugs in uniform, you know, in 20 older son, kicking grandmothers in the head, spraying mace in their face. Three young men standing over a lady in her 80s, great-grandmother, spraying mace in her face, even if she's lying on the ground there. Uh, you know, kicking them and spraying them. Why? They weren't wearing a mask. And why must you wear a mask? For your health. So, gee, I'm sure spraying mason in people's face and kicking them really helps their health so much more. So you could see the, the problem that we've got in much of the West is the people don't have respect for age or for religion or for people's uh, being pastors or, or religious leaders. But in Africa, there still is. There's still a general respect for age and position and uh, for a person who's a religious leader and for people who are gathering as Christians, you're not likely to see, although we, we did have a few excesses here, but generally speaking, nothing as bad as what we saw in Canada, Australia, or New Zealand, and uh, or even the UK, actually. So, uh, yes, uh, the new South Africa, with all of the problems, we do have a lot of violent crime, uh, we do have a lot of injustice, there's a lot of corruption, but actually... The Bill of Rights, insofar as our freedom of speech and freedom of conscience, freedom of movement goes, we have more freedoms than our friends have certainly uh, experienced in Canada, Australia, New Zealand, and the United Kingdom. And to some extent, maybe even America, because we would be unlikely here to get into so much trouble in universities or anywhere else for saying something like, there's only two genders, or marriage can only be between a man and a woman. You'll get into a lot more trouble for saying that in Canada than you will in South Africa. So, uh, yes, it's not all bad in the new South Africa. And um, I think those people who think that Africa is backward should think again, because in many ways in Africa we've experienced far more freedom, or should I say far less intrusive government intervention over the whole lockdown lunacy and the whole, especially the vaccination insanity. Uh, than we've seen in most of the Western world. Just to carry on teasing out the, what exactly is uh, persecution is, um, would infiltration of churches by subversive elements uh, constitute a form of persecution? It can be, yes. So, for example, uh, there's a major study, and there's several books out, on the gay mafia that controls the Vatican. And the Roman Catholic Church, uh, it was targeted for infiltration subversion uh, generations ago, right back in early 1920s, the Comintern, that's the Communist Party International, uh, the Communist International, which uh, was the CPUSA or the Communist Party of the Soviet Union, uh, targeted for infiltration Hollywood and churches. And they uh, were very effective in infiltrating the Methodists and a whole lot of other mainland churches. And the Catholics, they, they were stumped for a bit. They thought, how do we infiltrate the Catholic Church? Because the Catholic Church... Leadership is in the hands of celibate priests who can't get married. And then they hit on the brainwave of all brainwaves. Well, what about the homosexuals? They don't care about getting married. Let's get them to it for it. And so with, they got a double whammy on the Catholic Church. They managed to get thousands of communist homosexuals and lesbians, of course, to infiltrate the priesthood and nunneries. And in time, they rose 
very high in the Catholic Church and, of course, helped one another to the point that the Catholic Church uh, not only became controlled by these characters, but they started to persecute any priests who made a stand for celibacy and marriage and were uh, speaking out against homosexuality and so on or speaking against uh, uh, horrific things. Uh, I've written on this whole uh, and with Exposan, we've got audios and presentations that were given to the Reformation side, and there's a Gospel Defense League letter on, on the gay mafia taking over the Catholic Church. And uh, the, the gay priests whose lives have been made a living hell and have been people who've been murdered and so on too. So uh, there's no doubt that the Catholic Church at its core, obviously there are fine exceptions in individual parishes, depending on the local bishop and so on. But the Vatican itself is run by gay mafia. And at the moment, it's got a communist pope as well, of course. We used to have a joke, uh, is the Pope Catholic? So as an obvious, when a person asks an obvious question, you just say, is the Pope Catholic? But you can't say that anymore, because the present Pope is not Catholic. He is, he's a Jesuit, uh, traditionally, uh, but he's actually a liberation theologian. He denies so much basic Catholic doctrine. I mean, he's come out with dumb comments like, you know, no, uh, uh, you know, of course we can't condemn uh, homosexuality and uh, you know, communists and homosexuals go to heaven and all, all sorts of things. He's, he's except the whole LGBT agenda and so many other things. So you can see the gay mafia really controls the Catholic Church, at least the Vatican right now. And uh, that's just one example. But there are other churches where you've seen communists taking over from the inside. Uh, in the Methodist Church in South Africa, for example, we had people who were very friendly with the Southern Communist Party to the extent that they had their priests happily marching under the Soviet flag in 1980s. And we've got pictures of this at ANC events and taking part in events where people were necklaced and their priests were there and they were at these events. And during the COVID cult, we had the, by the way, uh, we've got Methodist church leaders in this country who are also part of Gun Free South Africa. I was at one of these events with the Gun Free South Africa chap and uh, he made a comment on, uh, have there ever been, has there ever been a country that's implemented these principles of gun-free South Africa where, where nobody can have uh, firearms on? I said, yes, uh, Soviet Union. No, no, I didn't want that. Red China, uh, uh, Cambodia, Laos, uh, Rwanda. Rwanda was a gun-free zone. In fact, the UN helped strip all the people of guns just before the genocide that slaughtered over 800,000. And at this point, he stopped the the discussion because they'd advertise us, you know, come for a public discussion on uh, gun-free South Africa. About a third of the people there were our people, actually. Uh, we we came in and, and all of our folks had different things then and they just had to shut down the discussion. And it was advertised as a discussion. but And it was meant to be voted then, but then they, they didn't have the guts to do that. Well, this same gun-free South Africa chap, who, by the way, I've debated on national TV on the big question, um, I quoted a whole series of scriptures on why you should be armed. Like, if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one, Jesus said. And if a man doesn't have provision for the members of his own household, he's denied the faith and worth an infidel. You know, fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives and your homes, uh, Nehemiah 4.14 and so on. So the talk show host turned to uh, Reverend Peter Story and says, well, uh, Reverend Alan Story, well, Peter has given quite a few scriptures to support his position. What scriptures can you give for your position? And we've got the video. Alan's story says, uh, well, there aren't any scriptures for it. But not everything in the Bible's biblical. And people started laughing and said, what I mean is not everything in the Bible's Christian. Everyone packed up laughing in the uh, audience. And I said, well, what kind of theology is this? <laughs> and th 
this man's like he shot himself in the foot, then he shot himself in the knee, then he ended up shooting himself in the groin. Just, uh, how easy is it to debate people like that? You know, Well, there's nothing in the Bible about it, but, and unbelievable. But the same person, during the COVID lunacy, he unfolded a massive yellow banner from the tower of the oldest Methodist church in the country, which is in Green, just off Green Market Square. Beautiful stone church, stained glass windows, big yellow banner. The blood of Jesus will not save you from COVID-19. Get vaccinated now. Now, I might say I've never seen them putting a poster like, a COVID vaccine will not save you from eternity in hell. Only the blood of Jesus Christ. I mean, that would have been more honest, more relevant. Or even something like, Jesus is the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to Father but by me. Why not? I mean, that's scripture. But why is the only time they unfold a banner, not scripture, but just promoting the COVID cult? And now we know that not only did the vaccines not save you from it, because all the people who promoted this vaccine, double, treble boosted, quadruple boosted, and so on, they all got COVID. Uh, Cyril Ramaphosa, Justin Trudeau, uh, Boris Johnson, uh, the whole lot of them. Uh, Bill, uh, uh, Joe uh, Biden, all of these people, doesn't matter how many boosters, shots, they still got COVID. So what's the point? And in the end, they found it not only doesn't it stop you getting COVID, even though they said before, I promise you, I promise you, you get this vaccination, you won't get COVID. I mean, that's what Fauci and Biden, all the others said. And lo and behold, they still got it. So what's the point? Well, it'll stop you transmitting it to others. Well, then found it, it didn't stop that either. And they still had to wear the mask and maintain the distance of everything, even after getting the shot. In the end, Pfizer's now admit they never even did need studies to find that it didn't um, um, spread the disease and so on. So uh, what a lot of lies, lies, and more lies. And churches participated. In it. We had pictures of ministers wearing clerical collars, wearing their religious fancy dress, saying, this vaccine will save your life. Quite, quite to the minister there, Reverend so-and-so, you know, in the name of his church. Uh, billboards in South Africa. So the lies, lies, lies. So this is just another example of how the COVID cult was used to undermine the church, to silence the church, to shut down the church, and not only to cancel services, but also to be used as a stick to beat anybody who didn't participate, whether you were a church member, church leader, pastor, because those ones were, oh, you don't want to get vaccinated. Kind of, they refused to allow church services if the people weren't vaccinated. They refused to allow people to stay in some ministries unless they got vaccinated. The bullying and the amount of people who've died or had severe problems as a result of the vaccinations. Many, many. It's unprecedented. In the past, if you had one person die from vaccination, they'd cancel the whole thing. And they would pull products off the shelf if there's just one uh, bad adverse effect. With this one, you can have tens of thousands of deaths, hundreds of thousands of injuries in a single country, according to the various reports, which are underreported by a factor of 50 probably. But nevertheless, it doesn't seem to stop it because there's a lot of money here. And of course, if it was so safe and if it was so effective, why do they need to bully and force you to get it? And if it was so safe and effective, why do they need to give indemnity for prosecution to the um, Pfizer, Moderna, Johnson Johnson, AstraZeneca companies that promote it? You would think if they believe in their product, they wouldn't need to lobby governments to tunes of hundreds of millions of dollars bribing lawmakers to pass laws to say that the, the uh, 
vaccination companies will be uh, indemnified against prosecution for any adverse effects from the vaccinations. I can't think of any other product that gets that kind of protection. So, yes, there is no doubt uh, that this was used to uh, persecute and um, it's continuing to be an element. It's, it's a weapon in the hands of those who want to persecute you. And this is not unprecedented. During the Soviet Union era, when it became very unacceptable to be persecuting Christians because there's a lot of media attention coming out, they started to use uh, psychiatric and uh, medical doctors for it. So uh, my friends in Eastern Europe told me how frequently a pastor was a real problem. He'd be just summoned to come to the hospital. Remember, all the doctors were under the state for a checkup. And next thing, family would be contacted, come and collect his body, he's dead. And whether they injected him with who knows what to put, air bubbles injected his vein or who knows, but the man would die just like that. And of course, you can't ask for an autopsy. And anyway, <laughs> who are you going to trust? Uh, the government controls secret police as well. And then the other thing they did was, especially in Russia, they had psychiatric prisons, many, more than 89. And uh, they would regularly take somebody who is a very effective Christian and diagnose him as being insane. And he gets put in a padded cell and subdued by drugs and so on and maybe electrocuted every now and then. Uh, all in the case of mental health. And now you've seen them trying to go this way with the World Economic Forum Great Reset that if you question any of their narrative or you he vaccine hesitant, none of us are vaccine hesitant. I'm total outright rejecting. There's no hesitancy on my part. Hesitancy suggests you're going to jump into the water, but you're just a bit hesitant because you think it's going to be cold. And you're standing on uh, on the diving board and you, you know, I mean, that's hesitancy. We're not hesitant. We're like, no, under no circumstances. I'd rather chew glass, crawl across a minefield while being bombed by the Arabs and take this vaccine. Under no circumstances will I take it. That's not hesitancy. I mean, that's pretty definite and definitive. So unfortunately, they're using this as they're starting to introduce a medical tyranny. That's why we call the WHO these days the Wuhan Health Organization. When the mass media and pop culture indulges in blasphemy, or mocking Christianity, would that also be considered a form of persecution? You know, such as uh, when this so-called British artist called Chris Ophelia produced an elephant dung Virgin Mary that uh, combined pornography, elephant dung, and an image central to Catholicism, or the last the film The Last Temptation of Christ, or the the uh, Jesus Christ superstar extravaganza. Um, would would those be? Um, or is that an insult to the people suffering serious life and freedom-threatening persecution? No, I do think it's a form of persecution. Perhaps you should say it's certainly an assault on Christianity. Now, the cultural Marxists, for example, uh, uh, Macuse, uh, he came out with saying we must use foul language and blasphemy and obscenity in the arts, on the theatre stage, uh, in, in the performing arts and music. We must uh, use it like verbal grenades to... Um, to assault the bourgeois, uh, the, the, the middle-class Christians. And so they did see the, that obscenity and blasphemy can be weapons to use to assault the church. So it's certainly an attack on the church. It's certainly designed to undermine respect for the church and sympathy for the church and to make it uh, create an environment where it's more acceptable to target Christians or to um, deplatform them, to unperson them, to uh, kick them out of the class, to uh, fail them, to refuse them promotion. To So they, it, it fits in with many forms of discrimination. And it is discrimination because, for example, can you think of any other religious group that this would be acceptable? Would it be acceptable to be blaspheming Allah or speaking against Muhammad or doing something similar uh, to what's considered sacred to 
Muslims like the Quran. Uh, would it be acceptable uh, to do this for Jews and synagogues or to uh, the Hindus and Kali and Krishna and uh, Siva and so on? So you can't think of any other religion that it would be acceptable to treat in such a disrespectful and vilification style. So, yes, I think mocking and blasphemy are certainly a form of pre-persecution, uh, certainly an assault, and they certainly cause a lot of grievance. It's not the same as the violent uh, physical assaults, but, you know, I think the average Christian that I know who suffers persecution in Eastern Europe, they found the blasphemy and the blasphemous songs more injurious and far more grievous than the physical beatings. What is the aim of persecuting Christians? Is it to reduce the number of Christians? Ultimately, yes, but the aim of persecution is not to kill Christians. There's no victory to the kingdom of darkness for Christians to go to heaven. And the aim of persecution is to intimidate Christians into silence and to persuade believers to compromise and to terrify Christians into giving into cowardice. If the devil cannot stop us, being converted, he at least wants to divert us and distract us so that we're not effective in fulfilling the Great Commission and winning others to Christ. So as long as you refuse to be intimidated into silence, intimidated into neutrality or into compromise, then the persecution fails. And our Lord Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, let him take up his cross, let him follow me, for whoever desires to save his own life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? What will a man give in exchange for a soul? And you have a good example of this in what went on with the communists. I've heard this from several different sources in different occasions, an event like this. But let me just zero in on one case. I was having supper with a group of ex-communists who had been locked up in a communist concentration camp in uh, Angola. Now, um, some of them even in Quattro. And they were being persecuted by, amongst others, the Cubans. And so as these Cuban communists were torturing them, they were in a cesspool of a pit uh, covered by uh, branches and thorns. Uh, but it was designed such a way that all the filth and sewers of the uh, camp flowed into this lowest point. So they were literally living in filth. And they would be brought out every now and then whipped and so on. Well, at one point, one of these young men cried out, why don't you just kill us and get it over with? And the one Cuban communist response was so insightful. Oh, no, we don't want to kill you. No, we don't want to kill you and send you to heaven with God. We want you to curse Christ and come to hell with us for all eternity. Now, that is an insight. Yes, they don't want to kill you. They want to take your soul. And this also reminds one of the, the absolute gold standard of all revolutions, the French Revolution. In the French Revolution, it was not sufficient to take Louis XVI and degrade him and then uh, guillotine him. No, they had to do worse than that. They took his son, Louis, who would have been Louis XVII, uh, after his father died, and they took him away from his mother, Mary Antoinette. And they put him with a group of hideous blasphemers until they could get the son drunk and blaspheming. Now, he's just a young teenager. And then they were able to, less than teenager, they then were able to tell Mary Antoinette before they guillotined her, don't expect to see your son in heaven. We got him to curse Christ and renounce his faith and blaspheme. Your son is coming to us to hell for eternity. You are not going to see your son in heaven. And they took great delight in that. And so this just gives you the idea of what persecution is not about killing Christians. 
persecution is about intimidating Christians to give and compromise. And if if we f- refuse to give in and and uh, be afraid of them, then they fail. You've really given us some hints, but uh, could you clarify who in our times is doing the persecuting? Well, obviously communists are, North Korea. I've met a young girl, I think she was about 18 or 19 at the time, from North Korea, whose father was a serious Communist Party member in North Korea. He was converted to Christ and he was taken to prison and uh, he ultimately died there within actually a few years. situation was very bad. Her mother was also taken to concentration camp. She thought he was also, she was also dead. And so this young girl, she was actually in Cape Town 2010 testifying of the loss of her whole family, effectively. And she was one of the only members of her family who had survived by escaping first to China and then to South Korea. And uh, she was planning to train in the Bible and go back as a missionary to North Korea. Now, that's that's pretty severe. Now, the communists are persecuting church very, very severely uh, in Cuba, uh, in uh, North Korea, in every communist country. Of course, Islamic uh, jihadists are killing Christians a lot, and I've experienced them doing the bombings and scorched earth and artillery and rocket bombardments in Sudan as we've been doing our work there seeking to serve the church. But today, you've also got to add the World Economic Forum and the World Health Organization, or should I call it the Wuhan Health Organization, and the CDC, I mean the so-called Center for Disease Control, who have been ordering that soldiers who don't want to get the shot be kicked out of the military, that pilots who don't want to get the Fauci ouchie or the clot shot uh, uh, not be allowed to have work, uh, having people fired from their jobs for refusing, having children forced to be vaccinated or they can't go to school and all of these different things. So you've got to say that the persecuting today is not just being done by some jihadist wearing a turban or some Marxist with a red star and a hammer and sickle. It's now being done many times by some bureaucrats in Brussels and the EU and by United Nations and World Health Organization officials and sometimes by medical tyrants who might have the name doctor in front of them. In fact, we've got a communist from Ethiopia who is uh, who was involved in genocide and other very serious activities in uh, Ethiopia who is now the head of the World Health Organization. So he's got the name doctor, but it's not a doctor of doing medicine, it's um, <laughs> it's a Marxist doctorate in basically how to kill people. Uh, so uh, that's where we've come to right now. So it's not just Marxists and uh, Muslim jihadists, it's globalists. It's uh, the COVID strategy, insulting, blaspheming through the media and so on. Um, but uh, yes, WHO, WEF, CDC, uh, persecution these days has moved into the globalists' phrase and hands. What about Christian Cults or false churches, can they be placed on the list of persecutors? Yes. Now, of course, when people think of cults, I don't think many think of Roman Catholic Church, but the Roman Catholic Church does meet the definition of a cult uh, in that they claim to be the only church and that their way is the only way and there's no salvation outside the Catholic Church. And uh, the fact that they are intolerant of um, anyone who leaves them, in fact, it's the worst sin and crime you could commit is to leave their, their religion, which is a cult. I mean, Roman Catholic Church is a cult and... Uh, long before communism and long uh, before um, the modern persecutors that we've seen in the 20th century, for the longest uh, period of church history, Roman Catholic Church has been the main source of persecution. And uh, proof of this, Fox's Book of Martyrs. Get hold of Fox's Book of Martyrs, which 
Charles Spurgeon said is the ideal gift to give any child for, for uh, Christmas. And uh, he said he read uh, Fox Waters multiple times in his life. Uh, that's mo- mainly a list of stories of Christians who suffered under papacy and the Inquisition uh, for such crimes as believing in salvation by grace alone, faith alone, that Christ alone is there, the church, that Christ is the only mediator, that scripture is the ultimate authority, uh, denying transubstantiation, believing in the uh, memorial nature of the Eucharist, and uh, uh, basic uh, things like translating the Bible into English uh, was enough to get you persecuted. William Tyndale was was burned at the stake for the crime of translating the Bible into English. So, yes, um, Roman Catholicism is one example of a cult that uh, was also a persecutor of Christians and that can happen indeed. And today, of course, you've got to add the World Council of Churches. They've done a lot to actually fund terrorists, persecuting Christians. So uh, Father Arthur Lewis is the first chair, uh, first member of the board of Frontline Fellowship. Uh, here's a missionary, Church of England missionary to Tanganyika and into Rhodesia. He wrote the book Christian Terror, where he documented how the World Council of Churches was funding terrorists of ZANU and ZAPU who were butchering Christians, murdering pastors, burning Christians in churches down, uh, uh, closing the church and burning the church down with the Christians inside, and that these people, murdering Christians, hacking their limbs off and so on, were funded by the World Council Churches. So the World Council Churches is plainly a financer and a helper of persecutors of the church, and that has been well documented. Before we go on to discuss your first-hand experiences of persecution, Please tell us about a useful tactic that we can learn from Sabina Wormbrunt about ferreting out informers and spies. Yes, so a good f- friend of the uh, Bathman family, my wife Lenora grew up with uh, people like Sabina and uh, Richard Wormbrunt on the dinner table. And Sabina Wormbrunt was imprisoned for five years. She was treated uh, as a slave, uh, building canals for the communists and labor camp for the crime of being the wife of a pastor. Her husband was locked up for 14 years, uh, much of that in solitary confinement, being tortured. Well, uh, Sabina Wurmbrandt, um, she was released after five years, and a man came to her claiming to have been in prison with her husband, and he had a message to share with the congregation, underground secret church, of course. So knowing how the communist state sought to infiltrate congregations by um, infiltrating spies and blackmailing members into being informers, Sabina was understandably cautious. So she said, before we go ahead, Please, would you lead us in prayer? And she bowed her head. And, well, there was a very awkward silence, and the man who claimed to have missed from God uh, and from her husband stuttered, stammered, and Sabina Wombard looked up and, gazing directly into the man's eyes, said, Now then, aren't you ashamed of yourself? Wouldn't you like to learn how to be a real Christian? And uh, that just shows you the kind of wisdom you get from the persecuted church. There's a lot to learn from the persecuted. Dr. Hammond, um to wrap up and to give us a preview of next week's discussion, can you give us an overview of your experience of the persecuted church? Yes, well, by God's grace, um, I've survived more than 40 years of ministry, missionary work to restricted access areas, much of that amongst the persecuted church. And I've had the privilege of serving persecuted Christians in Mozambique and Angola and Romania, in Poland and Czechoslovakia and Albania and Rwanda, Sudan and Northern Nigeria and the Congo and Zimbabwe and so during this time, I've ministered in 38 countries. I've lived through and worked in eight war zones and have been through three revolutions. I've endured aerial bombardments, ambushes, artillery bombardments, rocket barrages. I've been arrested and I've been imprisoned for missionary work on a number of occasions. So 
Uh, this has given me uh, good insights into what our friends experience as we've been trying to serve them. Can you just repeat uh, the IDOP website and any other resources that yes. uh, are so relevant? www.idop-africa www.idop-africa.org that is the website and you can also look for idop-africa on Facebook and we've got all kinds of videos, powerpoints, articles prayer requests, posters uh, information, news, uh, things that you can use to help inform and inspire and involve your friends your cell group, your school, your class your church uh, in praying for and serving at the Persecute Church Dr. Hammond, thank you for your time and insights. Um, my closing verse sums up the discussion. It's from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Thank you very much for joining us for From the Frontline. God bless and good night.